0: SA Commuter Radio is your South African connection, bringing South Africans together from around the world. Tune in to www.sacommuter.com and listen to some great content. From South Africans, for South Africans, to South Africans, all around the world. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and listen to the live shows on www.sacommuter.com between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday to Friday. Live. Love. Listen. S.A. Commuter Radio.
1: Iconic South African is a world-famous audio producer and engineer, as well as an author, renowned for the groundbreaking work with Jimi Hendrix, Eric Clapton, The Beatles, Collis Santana, The Stones, and Bowie. He's also engineered and/or produced records for many other well-known artists, including Anthrax, Joe Cocker, Peter Frampton, John Mayall. Ten years after, matt the Hoople. John Sebastian, Carly Simon, Dion Warwick, and Small Faces. It is, of course, Eddie Cromer. He's joining myself and Noel today to talk about Woodstock, Blu-ray, and of course, anything else that comes to mind. I'm Janine Preston from Anywhere Anytime. And today's show is brought to you by Sapro, Exporting Home Abroad. And joining me is Noel Johnson
2: from RTL. Hi guys. Hello. Hi, Eddie, how are you? Hi, this is Eddie Kramer, by the way. Yeah, no, not,
0: not Kramer, it's Kramer. It used to be
2: Kramer, uh, in South Africa it was Kramer, but uh, it became Kramer when I got to America.
0: It's like Charlize Theron, not yeah. It's, you're, okay.
2: yeah, well, Theron. Yeah, so okay, Kramer versus right. Kramer. Yes, Kramer. Eddie, how are you today? Lovely, thank you. It's it's great to talk to you. By the way, are you folks in Johannesburg or Cape Town? I'm in Johannesburg. Noel's in Durban. Yeah.
0: Durban, right. Durban. I'd right. love to say sunny Durban, but it's been nothing but cloudy and miserable for the last year or so. <laughs> That's been terrible. Well.
1: And I'm sure you, you're just dying to talk about your favourite subject, which is Woodstock.
2: <laughs> um it's it's a it's an item in in my past
1: (laughs) i'm sure you've been overwhelmed with questions about your experience at woodstock how did you end up there um
2: in a vw uh bug that's how i ended up there (laughs) it's it's a bit of it's a bit of a story but um essentially i got a phone call um i think a week or so before the woodstock event uh, from the, the the directors of the, of the movie, uh, Michael Wadley, and uh, he said, "You know, you're quite well known for your sounds and everything, and you do a lot of live recording, and you're working with Hendrix, and Jimmy is going to be heading. He's the top of the bill. Would you like to come up and record it?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah, sure, why not? I mean, everything was very casual in those days. Hey, just drive up to Woodstock." record a couple of bits and pieces we thought maybe it'll be a hundred thousand people there not too bad right it turned (laughs) out to be half a million people almost it was a small city and it was the only way i can describe it is three days of drugs and hell Mm.
0: sounds like fun. but it
2: sounds like a festival (laughs) <laughs> well it was it was it was the most unique, it was the most unique festival um ever i think it, it was groundbreaking and certainly it made a political statement as well i mean mm. apart from the fact that the bands uh, a lot of the bands were young musicians who were just starting off with their careers and this made a lot of folks like you mentioned Carlos santana after woodstock his career blew up fantastically uh, as with Johnny Winter and so many of, of the artists who, who played there. It, it was a remarkable um, event.
1: I read uh, when I was doing some research on Woodstock, I read that Richie, um, he started, Richie Havens, he, he, uh, he played the opening set and uh, Sweetwater was due to play after him. But because they couldn't get to the festival, he played everything in his backpack. The entire repertoire of every song that he knew <laughs> <And> <laughs> until he they bunch. could get there.
2: Yeah, he had he had a bunch of stuff in there. Well, there's a funny story attached to the actual um, physical stage itself, if you can imagine. Um, the stage is it, you know, there's the audience is up on a hill and sort of sloping down in a sort of a natural amphitheater towards the stage. Mm. And um, on the stage itself, the, the crew had managed to build a circular substage with wheels on it. And the idea was the first half of this circle, you had the first band and behind that other half was the second band ready to go on. And all they had to do was turn the turntable and you'd have the next band ready to go. Wow. Unfortunately, they tried to make the first turn and all the bloody wheels fell off. Oh, dear. <laughs> so that's where the turn, the wheels went away or the
1: wheels fell off. Comes the wheels from. fell off, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and where were you?
2: Hopefully not under the stage. You were in front doing the recording. No, I was not in front. I was actually behind the stage about 200 yards in, a track, in the back end of a tractor trailer. Um, I had a little space if you can imagine, 8 foot by 8 foot. It had two 8-track tape, uh, two 8-track, one-inch tape machines, a small console, one limiter, I believe, and piles of tape. And on, literally, really? we would, you know, if you can imagine at 15 inches per second on a, on a one-inch roll of tape, mm-hmm. you only have a half hour of time. So when you get to the 25-minute point, You would start the second machine, so you always had a crossfade for for later on for mixing. But it was it it was absolutely the most uh, exhausting thing that one can imagine. We were up till three in the morning, and we started nine.
3: Wow! (laughs) Right,
2: we slept on the floor of the truck.
1: (laughs) Well, at least you went in the water because apparently it rained and there was just
2: mud everywhere. Oh, apparently it rained i would say it was a deluge and then and you see the <laughs> i wasn't uh, there so that's
1: why i say apparently <laughs> yeah.
2: no it was a it was a bloody deluge because you know woodstock it's upstate new york you know and when they get storms they get storms it's like i don't know what it's like in durban but this is an upstate new york heavy duty yeah. rain you know and afterwards all the kids were just saying yeah let's take this hill and and they would just be sliding down in the mud because it became a mud fest. Mm. Wow.
0: <laughs> Do you um, think I
1: I, I that... have another last question about Woodstock and then we'll move on, but I have to know two things. Why did Jimi Hendrix want to be lost? Was there something that he's because I know no, it was... Well, was
2: No, he he was always supposed to close the show. Um it was supposed to be Sunday night. Night. <laughs> However, if you take into account the weather, the fact that Instead of a band going on for 45 minutes or an hour, they would jam and that would last <laughs> an hour and a quarter, hour and a half, change over you name it. And so, if you take all of those moments, it just backs everything up. So, poor Jimmy, who was going to close the show Sunday night, closed the show Monday morning at 9 a.m., which was really not a good scene, but he, he was magnificent his performance is searing it's just one of the greatest uh, performances of his career and certainly the the star spangled banner um that's that is imprinted into the brains of pretty much everybody who was there and then the whole nation heard it and went wow this is quite something amazing
0: yeah i actually i actually wanted to ask you a question about that because being physically present when somebody does something so iconic Mm. how do you carry it through for the rest of your life and and i'm sure that you tell the story with absolute fondness was that always going to be part of the show or was it just something that happened
2: oh jimmy had been using that to close shows for quite a while um this was the most adventuresome performance um, he adapted the way he played it uh, for the situation and this was obviously monumental and he knew it and so he gave it everything he had I think um, another iconic moment if, if I may uh, that I sh- I would like to share with, with mm-hmm. my South African audience which is so incredible I, I'm so happy to actually speak to South Africa live this is very unusual and very cool um, <laughs> the, I, by the way i'm writing a book uh about my life it's called from the other side of the glass and we're very fortunate that we're actually going to make a documentary film about it which is in the works right now oh, wow. but one of the stories wow. i like to tell is the first time i actually met Jimi hendrix i'd known about him um obviously you're being in london you know it's 1967 and Jimmy had had two songs out. He had Hey Joe um, and Wind Cries Mary. We're all very familiar with him. I'm working at a studio in London called Olympic Studios, which was the place where I very fortunately got to record Jimmy and the Stones and the Beatles and other bands that you don't know of. (laughs) But on this particular day, he came into the studio and was sitting in the corner. This was in January of '67, and it was bloody cold. And he was sitting in the corner, all huddled up, huddled up with a little raincoat on, and he wasn't saying much. The roadies bringing the gear when they set it up, and he switched on his he switched on his amp. And I was about six feet away, and I was running around setting microphones and going my doing my usual engineering thing. <laughs> and he, he hits a chord, and my life changed in that particular moment i have never felt so overwhelmed by the sound of an instrument mm. and the person who played it it was as if his whole being his mind and his body and the guitar and the amp was all this one thing and it felt like it came from out of space. it just hit me like uh a geostorm you know and, and the hair on the back of my head just went straight up and I have never felt anything quite like it and it mm-hmm. altered the light, my my path in my life and there you are that's something I wanted to share with you
3: incredible
1: and
2: what were you doing at the time I mean you obviously
1: setting up microphones but
2: well we were, we're recording an uh, album called yeah was Our Experience. this was Are the, You uh, this was the first album we were working on and uh, it was great because I ran inside into the control room and started recording it. I said, Hang on, Jimmy. And I started recording a few bits and pieces for him. I said, Come in and have a quick listen. And he comes in and he listens and he looked at me and he went, and He smiled and he ran right back out of the studio and said, Well, try this. And then it was like, Who could top the other person? You know, we, we had this wonderful relationship of, If you could do that, well, I'll just try to do something better. You know? It was always about how do I improve what he's playing out there make it even crazier or different and what does he like as a person he was wonderful It's funny as hell and he self-deprecating humor he would take the piss out of me and noel and mitch and himself um everything was fun if it wasn't fun what's the hell is the point you know mm. wow
1: um my last question about Woodstock, because I'm sure Noel's got a few of his own, but he's the muso. Um, if you were in the front of Woodstock, how did you get the bathroom? And I'm not sure about you particularly. I'm talking about the festival goers. Because from the pictures,
2: you the they like just a mass of people. Well, they had porta-potties around the perimeter. Ah. That's mess, see, somewhere on didn't the picture, You to go too far. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also, like you didn't have you know, there's a bunch of trees out there too, you know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and there was that the river That was always as well. a question I wanted to ask
1: someone, was if you were in the front, how did you get to the bathroom?
2: <laughs> do you I think... think, I, think kids, I think the kids were being very inventive. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Eddie, do you think that Woodstock set the tone for how festivals in the future should run
2: well it certainly was a benchmark um i'm not sure if they were going to be run like that uh certainly a massive festival like that um it did set the tone it, you, you're right i mean uh, everything that followed was either going to be as well organized or not as well organized mm-hmm. and you've you we are aware of some of the festivals that didn't go so well where there were riots, et cetera, et etc. But it certainly having a big event is still today, if, if we could do it, we can't because of COVID. But if you could, you would have Glastonbury, you would have all these incredible festivals still cranking. Yeah. It's a sad comment. Why did
1: you not um, record? Why did you not get asked to record the soundtrack afterwards or to be involved in the production of the soundtrack? when you'd done all the hard work?
2: Well, I think it was by virtue of the fact there was one person who was quote unquote employed to do that and they had a particular vision and I disagreed with that and so it was fine. I mean, there was a lot of work that had to be done. In a way, I wish I had done it In another way of thinking, you know, it's done. I have remixed a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, for, I've remixed all of Jimmy's stuff, and it sounds a, a whole lot better. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, prou- I'm very proud to say because, uh, you know, with modern technology, uh, I'm able to dive into the minutiae of his sounds and what was going on there and bring up the very best. Mm-hmm. You know, using the latest digital technology and, and the vintage analog stuff and combining those two worlds, you can get some pretty damn fine results.
1: I noticed that uh, Rhino released a box set um, with with you having reconstructed a lot of the co- concert um, tapes and sound what they call them soundboard reels. Hmm. Was that quite an exciting project?
2: Um, I'm not sure which one this is. What's the, do you know have the title for it? Because I've done so many. Mm-hmm.
1: It. No, it just said um, that it was more than sixty with Eddie and Lee Osborne.
2: Right. Lee Osborne was the assistant engineer, and I was a senior engineer. And, yeah, I mean, we we changed. In other words, I would be 8, 12 hours, and then he would take another – you know, we would switch over. Okay. Um, I don't have that box. I'd like to get it. In fact, I'll call my friends uh, right after the show. (laughs) You should, because we tried to get a copy, and they said they were sold out.
0: (laughs) Eddie, the difference between – Live mixing and um, studio mixing, and I'm not talking about necessarily today. Let's let's talk about in that time. W- what were the biggest challenges and the biggest difference when you were like doing a live recording mm-hmm. at Woodstock versus being in studio with Jimmy doing the recording?
2: That was a challenge, as, as I said. I mean, we only had maybe twelve microphone inputs and you you would have to try to figure out how to put a microphone between two drums to get a drum to two tom-toms you know that sort Mm. of thing i don't want to go too far into the technical side of things but it was very restrictive only actually on the eight track machine there were not even that many tracks for audio because the eighth track was pulse tone for the movie to sync up to and mm. then you had an audience track, which has also had some music on. So really, basically seven tracks. If you can think about that in today's market, when you have Pro Tools and unlimited, you know, hundred, 150, 200 tracks, if you want to, mm. uh, that's the restriction. So you had to really have your act together to be able to pre-mix a whole bunch of drums onto one track, mm. a mono recording. That's that's the thing. If you can do that, then you know you were reasonably successful. <laughs> But so later you, on how as, do you take as, something
0: you, oh, sorry to interrupt but how do you take something like that and you speak about a mono recording on the drum track and turn it into 5.1 stereo for example or surround
2: very sound. Tri- that is very tricky it can be done but it <laughs> takes takes a lot of work it, mm-hmm. yes it. you have to actually go in and actually um, rebuild that mono track and split it up into various frequencies and then send it it's, I won't go into it it's just, it's <laughs> many, there are many many more interesting things to talk about
0: <laughs> sorry that's just that's just my musician side coming out there
1: <laughs> I see there, there was an interview on the 50th anniversary of Woodstock which was two years ago um, the couple that appeared on the cover of Oh, right. I saw that uh, how were they chosen I mean like the photo did you
2: get like, a bunch of photos or I, that was something I wasn't involved which with. is random uh, <laughs> I think the record, you know, well I think the record company which was Atlantic I think was Atlantic um, they probably gathered photographs and they had their uh, their department that does covers find something that was cool and, and that's how they did it yeah I mean I think that's That whole woodstock thing i mean when it first came out it was i don't know there was the country was going through a lot of stuff and i think the the positive attitude of woodstock here's a half a million people getting together being very peaceful uh and just enjoying music and lifting their spirits and i think we need more of that i think that's what proved that music brings
1: people together and it has this knack of making things happen and that's what woodstock seemed to have done it did it really did i see you wrote a book on um called hendrix setting the the record straight. yes and you toured south africa with it
2: uh yes I was part of a thing i was doing with Shure microphones uh, who i work with and helped design some of their mics and they decided hey let's do a tour of south africa they had some friends um who distributed the Sure mics and we said oh let's sort of combine this and i'll never forget this was ni- 1994 i believe i had left south africa in 1960 um at the at, in december of 1960 and then as, as you know went to england and this was my first time back since that point wow hmm. and it was very emotional i mean you know we flew into johannesburg and then down to Cape Town. Oh, just walking around the streets of Cape Town and Bradar Street and where my old school was, I used to go to uh, Sax, uh, South oh, America. Okay. Sax boy. And, okay. Um, the next Sax boy, yeah. And, I and tell st- me, now, did
1: you did you fly in with SAA? Tell me you did.
2: I try <laughs> to remember. It's, it's a long time ago. It's very possible. I oh, no. <laughs> uh, I think we did I think we flew from I think we flew from New York by to, Ile de Sol and then we went down to I think to Florida and then I can't remember of it. Anyway, uh, it, it was just a, to me a, a wonderful uh, going back down memory lane um, we stayed at the Mount Nelson Hotel Nelson, yeah. I remember I used to going to school I was on the top deck of the double decker bus coming down um this one avenue and i remember looking out the window and see you can see mount nelson hotel and i was about 13 14 years old i said to myself one day i'm going to stay in that damn hotel and it it became sure enough it became a reality i miss cape town and what other towns
1: did you see or did you just see
2: cape town cape town i mean that was uh that's all we could fit in
3: oh boy uh,
2: Yeah, yeah. My brother and my sister were born in Cape Town. My my brother's a professor of uh, uh, history at uh, Trinity College in Dublin. My sister's a retired attorney. She lives in London. Um, And uh, my dad passed away quite a few years ago. My mom, who was English, immigrated to South Africa in nineteen thirty nine when war broke out. And she passed away in London. She was almost one hundred and one. Wow. And she got a letter that's... from the Queen. So there's this lovely South African, British, hmm. American... Well,
1: that's why we were so excited to find you. We were on this journey with Woodstock, and up popped Eddie Cromer, a man who was born in Cape Town. And we were so excited. <laughs> it was a very exciting moment. It was, it really was. Do you? And you know what, um,
2: If you sorry, were, no? you're, if you're born in South Africa, wherever particularly for me for cape town you know there's something about it it's in your blood and i can find myself now as i'm talking i've become even more south african
1: (laughs) (laughs) well hopefully you'll visit your local south african store and buy something south african just because you can yes we will
0: (laughs) um i was going to ask do you not obviously you miss your home country but do you ever sit back and wonder what life would have been like if you never left if you'd stayed in south africa compared to what you have be, done
2: certainly in the beginning in, in the six, in late late in early 60s i think it would have been very tricky uh my dad was uh quite vocally um uh, outspoken and i know we were uh, we were being watched and it was very tricky for us to get get out of the country. Yeah. Uh, and he had many friends who were in opposition uh, to the uh, old government. But there you are. That's a story for another day.
0: <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Did you meet a lot of the artists that you worked with at Woodstock? Because I I oh, see yeah. the, the, a lot of the guys that you eventually represented or worked with came from uh, Woodstock
2: well Johnny Winter I was already uh, just done his first album uh Carlos Santana became a good friend and I worked with him consequently Joe Cocker I'd worked with in England Jimmy of course um uh, there were a number of the artists I'd actually done some work with and then after Woodstock as their careers exploded I got, got the calls you know wow in terms of things like your
1: Kramer guitar sounds, tell us a little bit more about that.
2: Well, are you oh. The Kramer guitar sounds meaning the, the oh, guitar man. tones that I get or the guitar no.
0: itself? <laughs> I was telling Janine, I was telling Janine last night as a, as a musician. I don't know how many times through Pro, to, Pro Tools I've used your sound banks as oh, as, waves. as yeah. sound emulators and things like that as pads mm. and patches and stuff like that so i think where janine was going with this was like how did that actually come about that your sounds and especially named your the, the kramer sound banks and um emulated amps and stuff like that
2: yeah. Well, so I was approached by this company in, in, in uh, Israel, actually. They're called Waves, W-A-V-E-S, mm. and they are the biggest in the world for uh, what we call plugins for the recording world. And this was many years ago, and we decided, okay, what, what's the, what are you trying to do here? What, what, what's the vibe here? And I said, well, if I'm going to do a series of plugins, they have to achieve three things i want it to sound as if it's recorded at olympic studios with that type of sound for the guitar mm. with the sound for drums etc cetera, etc cetera. and that's what we modeled it after and we got an old tape machine you, there's a thing called kramer tape if you plug mm. in that it's yep. a, based on an old tape machine from ampex that was at olympic today people love that thing because they can plug in this vintage sound to mm. warm up the digital sound which is kind of an anomaly really when you think about it yeah. but the guitar stuff was based upon the old Olympic equalizer that had a wonderful incredible EQ sound to it so the mo- I, I use it myself still today and a lot of people do yeah.
3: you,
2: you want that guitar to pop through the mix you just punch this one thing and bam there it is it's got a unique sound with transformers in. That's what we were trying to do, is to emulate what analog sounds like mm. in the digital world.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, us artists of today appreciate you very much for that. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure.
2: There's more to what come. What is your
1: journey from 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 Woodstock? What was your journey like after that? Did you have a clear direction of where you would go, or did it just happen? Well,
2: 1969 was a very busy year. Um, we, I started building Electric Lady studios for Jimmy um, I was recording Led Zeppelin II uh, Woodstock and a whole bunch of other stuff so it was, I was very busy that year and I made the decision that once Electric Lady was up and running which would be another six or nine months it was we didn't open till May of 1970 and that studio cost a million dollars in 1970 dollars so that was wow. a lot of money in those days sure but when it opened jimmy was so happy he lived around the corner because uh, if, if you guys know anything about new york city it's on a grid right so in the village mm. downtown on west 8th street that's where the studio was uh is still today mm. and jimmy lived around the corner in the village on 12th street so he you could i can see him now in my mind's eye He's walking down Eighth Street, carrying the guitars. Got his hat with the feather, and he's got the bell-bottom jeans on. And people nod to him. They're very respectful. They don't come up to. It. He hits the buzzer on the on the uh, intercom. Comes downstairs into the studio, and he's home. This was his home. He loved that studio with a passion because this was the first studio that had been built specifically for the artist, with the artist in mind. And this, he felt when he walked in there, he was enveloped in this wonderful place that gave him the best sound that he had ever heard. And he was happy. The last four months of his life, he was extremely happy. We worked day and night in that studio and it was great. So from 69 going through to 70s, and then for the next four years, I ran Electric Lady Studios. Uh, and produce a lot of bands carly simon i produced and you mentioned Mm. that was there and after jimmy died it was wow our world looked like it was going to fall apart but we all knew that jimmy would have wanted us the show has to go on the studio has Mm. to go on move forward don't don't look back
0: eddie we're gonna have to take a little music break now but when we come back i'd like to talk Myself personally, I'd like to talk more about a lot of the other artists you worked with as well. And I'm sure Janine's got a few more questions as well regarding the rest of your career. And I know she's <laughs> eager to talk to you about your book. <laughs> so, so we're going to take a little music break. And when we come back, we'll get into that. Okay. the Rolling Stones uh, and you're listening to an interview that we are having with Eddie Kramer, world-renowned producer and worked with some of the biggest artists in the world. Just got a message from Lauren listening in and she says that she is having the best time ever with uh, Eddie joining us and Janine as well. Eddie, I wanted to ask you a little bit about some of the other artists that you worked with and I mean, you worked with Led Zeppelin and and um, Carly Simon and you can name them the Kinks and all that. Out of everybody you've worked with, who was the best vocalist that you've ever worked with?
2: Wow, that's an interesting question. Um, male or female, doesn't matter? Doesn't matter. Nah. Oh boy. For sheer style, Jimmy, no question. He was not the greatest singer in the world, That's that's for sure, but and he was very embarrassed about his voice. He, you know, I, I had to put three screens around him so nobody could see him. <laughs> he, he, was very, he was very shy about his voice. He thought he had the worst voice in the world. I thought he was a great song stylist. In terms of great vocals, Carly Simon, absolutely mention comes to mind. Um, Jimmy Page? In terms, uh, I beg pardon? Jimmy Page? As a vocalist, no you talk no. about Robert Plant?
0: Oh, I'm talking about Robert Plant, yes, yeah, <laughs> All right,
2: Plant, Plant, whatever, you know, that yeah.
3: guy. Um,
2: <laughs> as a rock singer, I would say Robert, probably the finest of the rock singers that I've recorded. I mean, he had a range mm. in, the, in the early days that went way up. Um, so many great R&B singers uh, like Lena Horne, um and and folks like that in new york when i was an electric lady um boy uh, you put me on the spot there but i think i'm looking at today's markets i have found some young singers that i'm working with now in los angeles because here's the thing with modern technology i'm here in canada and i can Mm. work direct with my singers in london england in switzerland in LA wherever they are and I found a bunch of young kids like 21 years old who are just amazing songwriters this is a guy I've been working with named Michael Cimino he's a 21 year old actor for TV and he's a great singer and there's, there's this whole bank of new talent coming up the ranks who are really interested in what happened in the past and take some of those ideas and incorporate them into something very contemporary and i love that Mm. i I continue to work with young talent i think that's most important uh young engineers young artists who are just developing and i help them with my knowledge and i love getting involved everything that's new i because it keeps Mm. the brain fresh the rest of me is falling apart but that's another story
1: I think that's the same with all of us
0: <laughs> speak for yourself i'm feeling great <laughs>
1: <laughs> but in terms of of, of your growth with um, with yourself and within yourself did any of the guys from pop idols or any of those guys ever ask you to be involved or have you been involved and i just didn't know
2: i'm not sure if it- by pop idols? what do you mean i'm not quite you know, sure pop
1: idols. did you get it did they ask you to be involved as either from the the engineering side the producing side maybe the x-factor any of those newly blossomed um reality shows about music were you ever involved in any of them
2: um I don't think so. I kind of avoided that.
0: <laughs> um I was just gonna ask, are no, you a fan of are you a fan of these reality shows or not? <laughs> no,
2: not at all. No. No, I really am not. I'm sorry. I just I I, I find that my time is is I, I want to spend it working on my career, my contacts, all the new things that I'm working on now. Um developing recording studios in different places in the world developing new product um new plugins uh finding new artists mixing i'm doing tons of mixing right from my house Mm. uh we just finished a new hendrix record i just did a frank zappa album um and as i said new artists up and coming artists in in california and in england um it's my world is sort of filled with, okay, well, what am I going to do today? Oh, yes, there's a pile of stuff that we have to do today. <laughs> yeah. Is your uh, mixing
1: disk still a manual mixing disk or do you do it
2: on the computer?
1: Is it now it, all It's technology done through the
2: computer. However, um there are these little satellite mixes and I, I have one now. It's, it's next to me. It's just eight channels and it digitally controls anything that goes to my the brain of my computer mm. and so it's digital but yet it still has an analog feel to it so mm. I'm mo- mostly 95% it what they call in the box I have a <laughs> friend of mine who has a studio down in Toronto and we hook up together so all my old analog gear is sitting there if I need to run the sound back through it mm. to get that quote unquote vintage sound I can do so so it's it's really wonderful to straddle both worlds so I get the best of how they sound.
1: And have you ever come across Trevor Rabin? From um, the uh, the? I've never natives.
2: met him. He's, he's an amazing guy. I mean, what a fantastic, I was always very impressed with his work. Uh, there's a bunch of South African guys who did really well. Um, Matt Lang, uh, Trevor Rabin, uh, Gosh, who else? See, Cedar important.
1: moved over. Uh, Cedar went over, Palatones, but they came back. Um, right. Didn't, they couldn't deal with it. Um, Manfred
0: Mann. else? Manfred Mann well, had a South African Manfred connection. Man,
2: okay. Manfred Mann, I met him in London in 1963, four, no, a little bit later. Yeah, about 1964, and I built him his first PA system for the Manfred Mann, Mike Hug, Blues Brothers. Wow. That's And he taught jazz. He taught me jazz, piano.
0: Wow. That's
1: amazing. I didn't know Manfred Mann was South African.
2: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Big time.
1: Shows you what I know about music.
0: (laughs) When did did you work with with a band like The Stones? And the reason I want to ask the question about The Stones is because did you work with them in the early days?
2: Yes. I started working with them at Olympic in 1966 when we just made the move from the centre of London to Barnes where yeah. the the new studio was a lot yeah, of people by the way th- th- that that's a... now the olympic cinema is now called the olympic cinema it's no longer a recording mm. studio but in 66 when we moved there um, the stones were one of our first clients mm. and uh, i did between the buttons album the flowers album satanic majesties and then in 67 i did um Vegas banquet with jimmy miller producing now that was a great album because yeah. jimmy miller who came from the states to work with the stones he and i worked together on traffic and because of the success of the traffic singles i'm a man and mm. all of that the stones asked jimmy miller to work with them and he was fit. he was their best producer i think without question
0: yeah but again, okay, the question i wanted to ask is obviously the stones are still around today and 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 still working to a certain degree. No. Um, yeah. What have and you I have seen? To say, I,
2: have to, I have to say something. I have to interject because my heart goes out because Charlie, I, I, I thought Charlie was the most wonderful human being. Charlie Watts, well, God bless him, God rest in peace. Mm-hmm. He was an incredible drummer. But not only was he an incredible drummer, he was a gentleman
3: yeah.
2: and loved arts. He was a fantastic Painter and drawer, uh, cartoonist yeah. as well. Sure. But he loved jazz, oh, and really? that's how we, we we hooked up on jazz because he was yeah. he was basically yeah. a jazz drummer, and uh, yeah. So working with the Stones, going back to your question, sorry.
0: <laughs> no, no, that's fine. That was that was so interesting. You never have to apologize. I, your stories <laughs> all. <amazing. laughs> what I was asking that you, you work with a band like that in the early stages, and you've seen yeah. them over forty years to where they are now 40 or 50 years how do you feel about their growth and and progression or has it been something that you feel is maybe a regression to a certain degree after their high as you know when when they were at their absolute peak
2: i think the stones have been wonderful over the years there's been very few bad spots i don't think there's any such thing as a bad spot from the stones yeah they've grown and they I have to say, you know, Mick and Keith, they keep their ears open to the ground and they know what's going on. You, you were playing uh, that track. Miss, miss you, yeah. Now, that is, if you had listened to the Stones earlier, it had mm. nothing to do with what they, what they did was they just figured okay, this is what's happening now, and here's how we can put our sound mm. to fit with the contemporary sound. They never changed their sound specifically, or just incorporated some of the mm. new stuff. And now how much of a it's role... A tribute
0: to... Sorry it's to interrupt a really a tribute
2: to... No, It's a tribute to their mm. imagination and their willingness and their openness to embrace the new stuff.
0: How much of a role does the producer play in that?
2: Big, huge. Yes, absolutely that's what i'm saying jimmy miller was quote unquote the guy mm. he brought stuff out of them i watched him work with them and it just he was mo- the model that i used for myself you know because when i wanted to become a record producer i have jimmy miller in my brain you know because of his ability to mm. get the band excited help them write the song help them do the arrangement and he even played drums you know he's he that kind of he was fabulous so the producers ideas along with the band you know you don't want to hammer them over their head you just want to sort of guide them down the path you know you don't want to sort of impose your will
0: incredible
1: what is your way forward during COVID? i mean you're obviously at home you're helping everybody online but after
2: COVID, do you think you're going to continue working online or you're going to go back into the world I think it'll be a mix uh, because obviously health is a big part of what is going on now. We, I can't go into the studio with a bunch of guys. No, that's not going to happen. Um, my wife and I have both been double vaccinated, but now, you know, there's the Delta variant and all this kind of stuff. And I'm very, uh, I'm going to be very careful about my next moves. I think mm-hmm. if the studio has adopted the right protocol, everybody wear a mask, you know, you have to make sure that you've all been double vaxed. Then maybe, you know, I'll go in with one or two people, see how that works. But for now, it's all on the internet. <laughs> it's all on Zoom and audio movers. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but that's how I'm able to be in sync perfectly with virtually no latency with artists wow. all around the world. That's great. That's amazing i do miss it i miss the contact i miss the one-on-one i miss mm-hmm. being in the studio with the band because that's the vibe oh i miss that terribly but you have to you have to find a balance you know it's like what mixed... made you decide to move to canada i uh, i had an offer of a, a job here in, in in toronto and that was okay for a while and uh, i've moved on and i have some other things and better things now uh that i'm working on um but you're going to stay in canada oh yeah no we we just applied for permanent residency yes we love we love it here healthcare is system is great is it a bit cold there It <laughs> doesn't walk outside <laughs> we've had i have to say where we live in in this county uh it's about two and a half hours northeast of toronto going up the, it's in lake mm-hmm. ontario it is we have the best summer 80 plus degrees okay during the day at night a little cooler the winter time gets tough there's no Mm -hmm. question we get snow like two three feet you know but you get used to it you know you've got the you got
1: the clothes for the weather (laughs) oh yeah
2: you have to have 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 four-wheel drive which is what we have and you know do you get the streets are plowed you know once you get out to the country it gets a little trickier but the canadians are tough man they, they've they've been yeah. doing this for a, a couple of
0: minutes <laughs> when, you, when, about...
1: when you've
0: sorry Noel. no janine um, carry on i was actually just going to ask about the book but i'm sure you've got a bit more information as far as I, more, more information than i've got
1: no it's about the movie because oh. um you now developed a movie and yeah tell us a little bit more about that you well, the, based
2: on the it actually ties into the book um the book's called from the other side of the glass and it's my journey from south africa all the way many trips to london and back and and growing up in a musical household uh, studied piano went to the south African college of music all of that and then got into jazz when i was a teenager i was listening in my bedroom in cape town i had this little shortwave radio so as you as you probably know, there was no TV in South Africa until what uh,
1: 1977.
2: 76. Yeah. It's just that blows. <laughs> me. But anyway, I would listen to the BBC Overseas Radio Service, uh, Voice of America, and on shortwave you'd hear it coming. Shoo, shoo, you hear know, the swishing sound, and that's what got me. Years later, that's how I heard that phasing sound, which was very much like that. Yeah. But anyway, that's what yeah. I listened to was blues, rock, Elvis Presley. And I got into a lot of trouble at school because I was banging away on my desk playing piano. Krama, get to the principal's office. <laughs> the accent is perfect.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Love that. <laughs> so
1: that's I all your starting projects I, I'm that are some, coming up. I
2: have to ask if there's anybody who was in my various classes at SACS from 57 through 6th, 1960, reach out to me through your station. Yeah.
1: Oh, that would be cool. Yeah. We should have have a reunion
0: show. (laughs) (laughs) Janine,
2: you were gonna ask me a question. I'm sorry, you want to know. So the book is all about that, coming to England, um, seeing the Beatles for the first time, did you see them in the cabin? No, I saw them on TV for the first time. I mean, I blew my mind. I was in 62, I believe. But then I figured out what I wanted to do was to combine electronics and music. And I was working for this ad agency and I opened up the TV yearbook, which showed where all the recording studios were. I said, that's it. That's what I want to do. And I closed my eyes with a pen. I went wrote letters off and I got one reply back. It was Advision Sound Studios in in 83 New Bond Street in London. That was my first venture into recording. Um, And from there I went to Pi Studios and that's where I recorded The Kinks and Petula Clark and Mm -hmm. Sammy Davis and people like that. And then from there I had my own studio and from after that uh, that's when I got to go to Olympic in early sixty six and came to America in sixty eight. Continued working and here I am.
1: So you've really travelled the world.
2: Fair amount. And say. have you been to
1: Australia or was it just yes, the states? I went to Australia to UK, work with. Europe, I went to Africa. Australia
2: to work with ACDC. That oh, didn't turn geez. out to. Work, that part of the book
0: oh <laughs> um, goodness gracious there's a
2: lot of stuff there's a, there's that's a lot say, of fun that's, that's
1: stuff. an encyclopedia
0: yeah, yeah. and the for...
2: cool thing is I took photographs of all of the artists I work with so if you go to Kramer archives you'll see some of the pictures of Hendrix, Stones, Zeppelin all the artists I work with I took pictures on that's going to be forming a, a big part of the movie is to take is, some of those images live when photos.
0: is the movie going to be ready
2: i think in a year hopefully 18 months to yeah when we just got the final word and we're moving ahead with it now okay okay big question is who's going to play you Well, we'll we'll put a little model there, you know. (laughs)
3: It's it's
2: it's a a documentary, uh, Janine. It is a documentary. Um, So, but (laughs) we we're we're hoping that it's going to be more than that. There's been rumors about a a Broadway show of some kind. I don't know if that's going to happen, but we'll see.
0: How do you feel? Interesting. How do you how do you feel being like regarded like this? Because I mean, you've worked with the biggest stars in the industry and yet you are also one of them. I mean you're you're having a movie made about your life. It's it's
2: it's like you know I just I don't know. You know you don't want to call myself just a little old knob twiddler mate. I just twiddle a knob <laughs> I don't
0: think so <laughs> no way magician. more than that. Do you have a do you have a lot of dirty dirty secrets? Do you have <laughs> do you have secrets? Do you, do you have blackmail Information that you can (laughs) uh, use, (laughs) or is that is that policy on what happens on tour stays on tour?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm sure if I dug deep enough, I could find it, but that's not my vibe. I don't like Mm -hmm. that. That doesn't. No, we're just teasing
1: you. I I know you. (laughs) I think coming from where you are, we're so proud to call you South African, and I think you should be in the rock and roll hall
2: of fame when is that oh, going to thank happen thank you i, I would, that would be an honor maybe you'll put my name forward yeah. oh definite. we'll vote for you i think south africa with a whole of
1: a whole bunch of us
0: will vote for you, we, you we'll get you a get that. you a star on hollywood boulevard <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> <In>
1: McCain, <laughs> do they have stars for rock artists yeah, yeah but course. they also have
2: know. engineer you know al schmidt who's a very yeah. famous engineer worked at capital for many many years who's a dear friend who passed this, this last year, this year, 90, he was 92. He he worked with Sinatra and everybody you can think of. And he was the nicest guy, genius engineer. He got a, war, a star on the Walk of Fame right outside Capitol, in fact. Yeah. My,
0: I, I, I just no, want to ask one more question because it. we're going to have to close very shortly. And I'm sure Janine will close for us. But my question to you is, what advice would you give a youngster that wants to pursue a career similar to what you have done in the in the sense of production and things like that
2: today you have to go to school you have to learn the techniques they're quite complicated uh and you and you must be able to play an instrument doesn't have to be brilliantly just as long as you understand music and can play a guitar or piano or something or read music or understand it because that's, that's the core of what we do. Yeah. I approached everything from a musical perspective, the electronic side, the, all the digital side, All that, that is secondary. If I love the song, if the artist is singing beautifully and can communicate that emotion with me and then subsequently with the audience and I've captured it and make it sound good, then I've done my job.
1: Thanks. And it certainly sounds like you've done your job over the years.
2: Congratulations from myself, Noel, and the rest of South Africa. Thank you, Gene. <laughs> Thank you, Noel. It's, it's been really a, an honor and a pleasure, and I miss South Africa. Tot since, i see you all later. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks
1: so much, Eddie. It was such a pleasure and such an honor to have you on SA Commuter Radio. Thank you so much, and go well.
0: Live. Love. Listen. SA Commuter Radio. Radio.